Coming up this week off screen The X Men face the apocalypse. Tom Hanks has a hologram for the king. John Carney takes us to Sing Street. Damian Lewis faces the silent storm. Laurie Anderson has the heart of a dog. And we visit the Valley of the Lost Ants. Always coming more off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. the latest film news and reviews this is Offscreen the on-screen radio show Welcome to Offscreen I'm Van Connor Okay, so so we should start obviously first and foremost with the biggie of the week, which is uh, X Men Apocalypse. Of course, X-Men yeah. Apocalypse. So this is this is now the this is the the eighth X Men movie. So yes. if you if you're counting uh, you X Men count Wolverine and you're counting Deadpool. the Wolverine, if you count Deadpool, it takes up to nine. So, yeah, so this is the ninth if you count Deadpool. If you're not counting Deadpool, it's the eighth. Mm. Right, so Deadpool takes place. I don't know what the story is with Deadpool. I'm sure sure we're going to find out in an X-Force film. I'm sure we are. So, right, ten years on from X-Men Days of Future Past. It's now 1983. I'm born in this year. You're six years behind me. (laughs) (laughs) So the movie's about that. Anyway, um, so what you've got is an ancient Egyptian mutant, Ensabar Nur, played by uh, Oscar Isaac. Oh, I know him from every other film. Yes, you know him from every film ever. Not that I'm complaining. He's like... He's like the man Alicia Vikander. That's that's what it is. He's like the male Alicia Vikander. Yeah. He just does a film every 45 minutes. Latin Sam Jackson. Latin Sam Jackson. Yeah. Um, is he Guatemalan? Guatemalan. Guatemalan yeah. Right, so he is, he is an ancient Egyptian mutant. He has ruled as a god. His people overthrow him. He's imprisoned in his tomb. He wakes up in 1983. And we get the whole X-Men intro sequence. Yeah, you know the one. We all know the theme tune, I think, by now. And I'm humming it in the cinema as I'm watching it. That's the weird part. And it's now made up to look like this is X-Men for the ages because we get the Mona Lisa whizzing by and the the Sphinx and and the Berlin Wall and Hitler comes by and and it's meant to be... You literally see a swimmer's girl. You literally do, yeah. So it's meant to be X-Men for the ages. So, flash forward to 1983, Apocalypse or Ensabarno, whichever one you want to call him, wakes up. Either way, he looks a bit like Poe Dameron with with Smurf (laughs) fever. A little bit, yeah. Poe Dameron has Smurf fever, that's what it is. And uh, he recruits his four horsemen of the Apocalypse who are Storm, Psylocke, uh, Angel, and of course Magneto who you may remember as the villain of every X-Men movie ever and oh him oh him <laughs> that guy that guy old mags so old mags is back old mags, old mags he's back because he's he's gone he's moved on with his life he's been living and hiding in Poland yeah. and ha- he's gotten married and he has a, a young he's daughter he's, he's got a job he's a metal worker he, weirdly g- go figure yeah. I know go figure <laughs> sick in his wheel he'd have been a great surgeon wouldn't he if, like, if you ever get a metal injury oh yeah fantastic just get that straight out oh someone shot Amazing you operation. Whoop, bullet out it'd be great at playing Operation, wouldn't he? He, he yeah. would be terrific. Ooh. So the idea is his, his family are then are killed when he is outed as you know the mutant mm. of 1973 who tried to kill the president and, uh, <laughs> and Tyrion Lannister, and uh, because that's a crime, you try and kill Tyrion Lannister, that's a crime. Everyone's been there, but no. he'll just get yeah. back with a crossbow. Yeah, we've, all, we've all been there. We've all tried yeah. to take out Tyrion Lannister at some point, but he, he drinks and he knows things, so he's always ahead he of us. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, he's out and his family are killed. He joins uh, Apocalypse's ranks as one of the four horsemen, sets out to basically enact his revenge on the world. Enter the X-Men, who must unite to stop this villainous foe. Stop me if you've heard this before. Here's a clip. Ever since the world found out about mutants in 73, there have been cults who see them as some kind of second coming or sign of God. I was tracking one of them. They call themselves a Sheer N. Sebenur, named after an ancient being they believe to be the world's first. World's first what? 
the world's first mutant. These describe a specific set of powers greater than any man could possess. An all-powerful mutant. Exactly. And wherever this being was, he always had four principal followers, disciples, protectors he would imbue with powers. Like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He got that one from the Bible. Or the Bible got it from him. So Roseburn there with Lucas Till as Havoc and mm. James McAvoy as Professor X. Uh, Havoc is the brother of... Uh, the, the older brother the of, older of Cyclops. Which is a weird inversion because they've meddled with the continuity at this point. You've got, actually got a direct inversion of the comics now where mm. the older brother is now the younger brother. And Yeah, yeah so that's pretty interesting. Uh, it's strange, yeah. isn't it? Um, and they do kind of weirdly acknowledge that he's that both have, the, have similar powers because Cyclops emerges in this movie. And this comes into play very heavily with in terms of things that don't quite... I mean, it's a great scene in which Cyclops... Cyclops, uh, Ty Sheridan, who looks increasingly like a young Tom Hardy, um, in which Cyclops <laughs> he gets... Is he is getting there. Cyclops gets his powers for the first time, and he's sat in his classroom, and he gets the headache, and, and his eyes are hurting, and, and the lasers shoot out, and, and that's the scene. You know? And it's it's kind of an iconic X-Men comic book scene anyway, but I, I feel like this scene has been banded around so often that by the time it's reached us on the, on the silver screen, it's kind of old hats. Mm. And you, the problem is that when you get this grand trilogy closing prequel movie which is meant to you know really wrap the story up and and end the the young x-men saga and it all feels like a bland greatest hit and you've got scenes like oh look there's a mutant in a cage fight yeah but we did that in the first movie of course and then you've got oh look here's quicksilver in slow-mo doing the bit bit you love from days of future past oh look here's the big cerebro scene where we we see all the mutants on earth and all the humans oh look we did that it's a wolverine cameo yeah here's hugh jackman we did that in every x-men movie ever just like a weapon x cameo yeah and and you're like we did that in x-men origins movie and the whole the whole thing just feels like a greatest hits album And that's a bit Very of a, that's a, a problem. It is. And you sit there and think, why can't they get tr- you know, part three right in this series? This, they've had not one, but two chances mm. to, to, to perfect a trilogy. Well, there is a bit where the characters go to see Star Wars uh, Return, Return of the Jedi. Jedi. Yes. And there's like an offhanded, it's meant to be like why is the, joke. Yeah, why does the third one always suck? And you're I like, don't know, you tell us, <laughs> Brian <yeah>. Singer. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, Bri, Bri, come on, bring it on. <laughs> not, not that it completely sucks, but it, it is definitely underwhelming, isn't it? That's it. You wouldn't say it was a bad film. No, and in some places, there were bits that I did really enjoy. Yeah, that's yeah. it. In, in some places, it is entertaining. Yeah. But even when it's being entertaining, it's still being underwhelming. Now, case in point, <laughs> case in point, case. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about that's the. Uh, we were talking. <laughs> it's your name. We were talking about the uh, the scene with Quicksilver, and it's a repeat of the one in the last film where look, everyone's basically frozen. He's dashing one, around. One more and, song from that era, and it's that's, and it's yeah. let's find a song from the era. But what they've done this time around is rather than find one that has some kind of thematic relevant. It was time in a bottle last time. It was it? time in a yeah. bottle, which makes sense. Hmm. This time around, it's Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This. And which is an 80s song. It's, and it's it, just like, it just doesn't seem to fit the moment. Does why it? didn't you just, if you were just going to you know, haphazardly toss in any song, for example, mm. why didn't you just choose, I don't know, Every Breath You Take by The Police, presuming that was out in 83. Flying Pickets, Only You, that was number one in 1983. Use that. It, why do you know this? Because that was number one the day I was born. So That <laughs> makes sense. I don't know what, what was number one. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up for podcast extras. But somehow, <laughs> somehow, that becomes symptomatic 
problematic of everything that's wrong with the film. Everything is just there for the sake of being there, rather than it being there for a purpose. Yeah, and coming it's like off, they've got like a list, like a checklist, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And coming off the back of Days of Future Past, which was terrific, and it was mm. it was the great. It was an all stars movie. It was a grand reboot. It was a continuity resetter. It was a terrific superhero film. And you come back to the, the X Men universe with Apocalypse, and it just feels like a whimper where you want it to all end with a bang. Instead, it ends with a whimper. And it's such an anti-climax. And obviously we all know that there were things going on behind the scenes when the movie was in its its infancy. And and it's not really for us to discuss. It's only been... Well, it's been two years it's been, since it's been Days of Future Past. It feels phoned in. It does. And you get that in the performances as well. Like, Oscar Isaac is barely awake in this. But Michael Fassbender is... I didn't even know he could phone in. It turns turns out he can. And then you've got James McAvoy, who seems to think because he occasionally grins, that counts as, as being alert and conscious. It, it doesn't, Jimmy. He's just a bit kind of awkwardly British. It is a bit I'm so charmingly befuddled. <laughs> yeah. But I would call... I mean, say, it's not a bad film. It's just underwhelming. It's entertaining, but mm. underwhelming. And I think coming off the back of Captain America as well. Yes, and, and Deadpool as well, which course, obviously Deadpool, played which in the, the X-Men. Same studio, yeah. same studio. Well, the X-Men played yeah. played a part yeah. in Deadpool, and yeah. that's why you feel so especially let down by Deadpool, uh, mm. by, by Apocalypse. Yeah. Because I don't think anyone was let down by Deadpool. No, no one was let down oh. by, by Deadpool. But uh, I, say, I say, you want a bang, you get a whimper, and it all just doesn't quite come together, and it's a bit slapdash. It doesn't make a whole heap of sense, because at one point the character who was killed last time is walking around, and he's fine, and you're like, why, why are you there? Because I thought, never mind. And there yeah. are storylines there story that were set up last time around that are completely tossed aside, that aren't acknowledged, yeah. and I don't know why Jennifer Lawrence is, is there and not there. I don't know why Jennifer Lawrence looks like Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, we we don't know why she's going to go find Nightcrawler. I mean, that, oh, that, oh, there is a reason in the comics. There's a reason in the comics. There's not a reason uh, in the film. She's just there because she likes German cage fights. And hey, who doesn't? Who doesn't, who doesn't love, love a that? good East Berlin cage fight, I tell you. <laughs> uh, but say, it was a bit underwhelming for me. Yeah. Okay, incidentally, before we cut to the break, um, mm. we're, we're not going to have time to fit all of this week's new releases into the show. We've got too many. Really. It's the like, we got six, six but we can only fit four into the show. So yeah. what we have to do is we have to put them in the podcast extras, which you only get to hear, of course, on the podcast. Well, that so, just makes sense. If you're listening on radio and you want to hear more, uh, go along to onscreenfilm.com, go in the in the off, uh, off-screen section, download the podcast, or go to iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Acast, uh, Acast TuneIn. Tune They're all on there. And, yeah. you know, Just download, listen to your heart's content. You'll find there is more after the end credits. is usually at least 10 or 20 minutes. And, of course, a moment of Cage, which is worth it on its own, really. It is, yeah. It is. And we get a Cage review next week, so... Oh, I'm so excited. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, shall we Shall we uh, do the inevitable and crack on with the top ten, then? Why the hell not? Number ten. Green Room. Now, you saw this, didn't I you? I saw this last night. Did you love it? Did you, did you adore it as much as I did? I think I probably... Adored it more than you. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. I feel, I feel like he wrote it for me. James it does, it, is, is up there now. It's great, isn't it? It's, it's such so a good. great so fusion good. of indie film and horror film, and it all works. I mean, indie and thriller and indie, yeah, when I say indie so film, I do mean like your standard indie drama kind of yeah. film, and your really great horror film. But it's it's got elements of films like like Assault on Precinct Thirteen as well. That was there. And, and from Dust Till Dawn, which I then rewatched oh, on the back of this. Absolutely. And Stewart's great, and Yelchin's great, and such a great film. 
film, and I cannot Alia recommend it. Alias Shawcat. <laughs> go and check this. Go and check it out. Just just yeah, check it so out. Good. Number nine. Eye in the Sky, which you have seen. I, I have now seen, because I had a couple hours free on, on Friday afternoon, because we had a fairly quiet day. So I, I had to go and catch... What was the other film I got? Oh, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which has oh, that made it into the top ten? Because... I'm going to be annoyed now. Spoilers, but no. No, damn. Okay, Um, so I've seen Eye in the Sky, and you know what? For the most part, very, very good. Um, Great performances from Helen Mirren and uh, Alan Rickman. Um, It has some problems in laying out its constructive argument, which is, it is to say, it's about liberals versus versus the right wing, really. And the right wing has a much more defined argument in this case. The hardliners' argument is better defined. And the bleeding heart liberals in the in the story are simply left to rely on oh but you can't because it's not nice and the the really big issue with that is it turns what should be a really great, thrilling, edge-of-your-seat Gavin Hood drama into something far less satisfying. I think something that Alan Rickman in particular deserves a lot more from. Number eight. 28 Days Later, The Secret Cinema Events. Which I attended. Which I had a did. great time. Um, the the live. I mean, obviously the film is great, <clears throat> and you get to watch it on a hospital bed with the film projected on the ceiling, <laughs> um, with the you know, which is you know a very unusual experience. Cocktail served in test tubes. You know, the usual fun. And of course, you've got the the, the walk through sort of experience on the way in, yeah. and and it's great. It is really great. It's a lot of fun. Um, there have been complaints this time around. I think about the the money gouging side of it. I think you yeah. get your money's worth from how, it. How much is a, is a standard adult ticket? Is it, is it fifty something pound? I think it's more than that. But I, 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 I went on I a press day, Star- so I have no no idea. Of course, but... yeah. I know the Star Wars was around fifty quid. Number seven. Everybody wants some. I tried to see this yesterday. Unfortunately, the projector wasn't working. Oh, so. the projector wasn't working. But I well. went to go see Green Room. You went so to see Green Room. Was so like, it wasn't a total loss. But uh, the soundtrack for this yeah. does look amazing. Okay, well, one of us will see it before next week then. Number six, our kind of traitor. Our kind of traitor, which I, I really want to like, John John Lacari. Yeah, I really is it Lacari or Lacare or um, Tom Hiddleston was on Graham Norton and he said John Lacari. Okay, so, well, we will discuss Tom Hiddleston in a moment. Yeah. Um, but, ah, uh, sure will. <laughs> yeah, we will. Okay, so I really wanted to like it. The problem is it all feels a little bit BBC 9pm drama and yeah. not at all Tinker Taylor or The Night Manager. And you sit and think, when the bar has been raised that high, especially in the case of like, The Night Manager, where the bar's been raised high by a TV miniseries, mm. it's underwhelming that you've then got a movie with Ewan McGregor and Stellan Skarsgård and Naomi Harris and Damian Lewis, and it all feels as weak and floppy and and really undeveloped as, as Archive Traitor is. It's not a bad film, it just feels really low-key and really talky and really not at all developed, I think, for a grand cinematic canvas. So we should, of course, you know, now we mentioned Tom Hiddleston, we should discuss the, the fact that bookies have closed betting. They have just, they've removed the ability to bet on Tom Hiddleston being the next James Bond. Yes, do you know why? Uh, wasn't he spotted having a meeting with Barbara Broccoli? Is this not the reason? Oh, I've not did, heard Barbara Broccoli. Did you not know this? No, no. Go he on. He was spotted having a meeting with uh, Sam Mendes. Oh, no. It was both of them. It oh, was both. God. Sam Mendes was at the same <laughs> that was meeting. definitely going to happen, isn't it? Yeah. I, I only heard Sam Mendes. No. And, and I was I was like, well, it could be could be like a play or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's Sam Mendes and Barbara Broccoli. So, of course, who who you know were behind... Uh, Barbara Broccoli, obviously, is the overseer of the Bond. Of the, of the Broccoli family. Yeah. Well, she's, uh, she's running the Broccoli side she of it all yeah. now. And, in fact, it is only the... 
broccoli side now because the Saltzmans don't own a steak in Bond anymore. No, it's just just rocks. So there you go. The the goddess of no the, one's ever called them. The, no go, the goddess of the Bond series and the mastermind behind the last I two. Would be, I, I would be cool with it. I'd be cool as well. Yeah. I think I think he needs to buff up a little bit because he is quite a skinny guy. Well, he was running to be four. Yeah, I, I, I've seen the audition tape. Yeah, which is it's just mind blowing to see. I it's think. crazy, isn't it? It is a little. Um, so, I mean, you'd be happy with him as well. Um, I'd be happy. I'd be happy with him or Aidan Turner mm. or Idris Elba. But Idris Elba's not going to happen at this point. I'm it's... telling you, I want James Purefoy for James Bond. He is my dream James Bond. Maybe not like I now, just but ten it's... years ago. I want exactly. ten years ago James exactly. Purefoy. Like ten years we could have had James Purefoy. Five years ago we could have had Idris Elba. Yeah, but yeah, that's circumstances. True. Yeah. But oh, oh, you know they could just go real, come out, come out of the blue entirely. Just give us, the, give us the Stafe and get it over with. Oh my God, James Bond. Bond, James Bond. That'd be great. And Danny Dyer's is our <laughs> Danny Dyer's Blofeld. Oh my God, calling it now. <laughs> I've been waiting for you, Mister Bond. <laughs> He's been a right muppet. <laughs> He's sat behind the bar at the old big. <laughs> He's been a right muppet. <laughs> Oi, Bond, you slave. (laughs) Right. So, having gone from one Bond Bond candidate to another name that is constantly banded around for Bond, Damien Lewis, who, of course, features in The Silent Storm. And this is an interesting one. This is uh, from writer-director Corinna McFarlane. And you you sit through this film and you do think it's based on a novel. Spoiler alert, it isn't. It's a completely original creation. Right. This is the story of a young woman growing up on a remote Scottish island. She's played by Andrea Riseborough. And uh, she is married sort of against her will, really, to the, the, the island's priest, or the island's padre, preacher. Well, I'm not sure of the exact religious terminology. Let's go with padre, because I like Let's go with padre, because it. it's cool to say. it's cool to The say. padre, who's played by Damien Lewis, who's putting on the worst Scottish accent you have ever heard! And believe me, when you get to the clip, you, believe me... Uh, the, the, it, but I'll just find a bit Sean Connery. Oh, oh, then. no, I mean, put it this way, after this movie, we all owe Jude Law another apology. For, for, for the Black Sea. The Black Sea is noxic at depth. And let us never forget. Let us never forget, Jude. No. Anyway, but we are sorry. We are really sorry, Jude. Over to you, Damien. Anyway, so the idea is um, Damien Lewis um, is uh, is contacted one day by someone from within the, within his, his church's organisation who bring to him a young teenage delinquent, a young man who uh, basically, in order to reform, is sent to the priest to do chores and, and commit his penance, basically. When the priest has to go ashore to deliver some pews, as you do, um, in the middle of a storm, uh, he is he leaves his begrudging wife with said delinquent, and of course a friendship and relationship begins to develop between them. And when, when dear old Damien returns, this of course creates a little bit of conflict. Here's a clip. What is going on here? Nothing. Mm, nothing. I have been gone almost five days and you have done nothing. What was the factory like? Did you see the new lodgings? Almost five days and you have done nothing. Everything is in order, Balor. I've tended to Croft, the lad has done his chores. This lad is getting a bit too big for his boots, isn't he? He's a good lad. He's helped out with everything. So you are pleased to have had this time with him. I'm pleased that you are back in one piece and that you have satisfied what... Satisfied? 
You delivered the pews to the mainland. Well, you were cavorting with a criminal like a half-dressed whore. Did I exaggerate? Come it's, on. It sounds like if Billy Conway was playing, like, Liberace. It kind of, kind of does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like Billy Connolly at the end of that Lord, that Hobbit one where he did, you know, where he takes over oh, the yeah. takes over the dwarf kingdom and all. Yeah, Hobbit. he just kind of shows up. Yeah, just shows up, token ginger dwarf, <laughs> so, and yeah, yeah. But uh, right, so here's the problem with it. Um, what's it? I'll go with the good stuff first. Uh, Damien Lewis is he's, he's larger than life. He is kind of cartoonish, uh, but he's still Damien Lewis, damn it, and we love him for he's it. Charming. He is. Yeah. Um, really great performance from Andrea Riseborough, though. Um, really, really like her. Mm. In it. I mean, she she is one of the most interesting actresses around at the moment. I think. Yeah, I'd like to see her get a proper. Big you want a real mainstream in, thing real from her? Because she's shown up in what was the Tom Cruise Oblivion. film? Oblivion. Oblivion was uh, one. Birdman. She was in. That's I'd argue Oblivion, I think, is the most mainstream thing she's done. I would agree. Yeah. But uh, this is the thing. She is one of the most interesting actresses around now, and 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 this is just more ammunition for that for that argument, really. Mm. Um, between her performance and uh, Damien Lewis's, I can only politely describe it as larger-than-life, grandiose mincing. Um, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> a... Wait, Scott. Yeah. You've, sh- you've then yeah, got Ross OTT. Anderson as the delinquent, who's sort of just cast adrift in between them, and you don't really pay much attention to him as a result. The other problem is that Corinna McFarlane, um, she's done a, a nice enough job sort of uh, visually making it all work. She sells it visually. The problem is it all feels a little bit sub-Sunset Song. And Sunset Song had that great breakout performance from Agnes Dean. It was a really compelling story. It was really gripping. The problem with this is it's not a particularly interesting story. And it's actually, it's, I mean, it's, it's borderline nihilistic in terms of its bleakness. It is one of the most depressing films you'll sit through this year. It is a film that Mark Kermode aptly described to me after the screening as badly in need of an outtakes reel. And <laughs> it, it needs the outtakes over the end credits or yeah. a gag reel included. And you know what? Coming from him, I'm really going to take that as meaning something. Um, as I say... If you are really, really into Sunset Song, you you may like this, but I I just feel that it's going to bore a lot of mainstream audience members that try and sit through it. And the problem is, once you, when you're marketing the film on Damien Lewis, who's kind of the it boy at the moment, I mean, on the back of things like Homeland, Billy, and stuff like that, yeah. the problem is you are going to get that mainstream audience, despite the fact this really only belongs in an art house cinema, and they are going to be bored. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen. And we're back, and who doesn't love a bit of Top Gear? You can be my wingman anytime, Case. Top Gear, Top Cheers. Gun, Top Gun, yeah, not Top Gear. Not Top Gear. It's because we were talking about Clarkson earlier. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's what it is. And also, I begin the interview with tonight on off screen. Don't ever, ever do that. <laughs> no, I, I won't. I promise. Okay, so let's talk about Sing Street then. And oh yeah, John Carney. John Carney. Yeah. Now, are you a fan of Once? I am, and also his follow-up, um, right. uh, Begin Again. I've not seen once, I've seen Begin Again. Which I, you did like. You enjoyed I, it, I loved Begin Again, yeah, I was yeah. a big fan. I, 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 remember, I, I remember when it came out. I had itunes the soundtrack to Begin Again before I'd even left the screen. You just love you, yeah. you some, what's, what's his name, Adam, Adam Levine. Adam Levine, you no, you know what it was? It was uh, Kira Knightley singing A Step You Can't Take Back. I genuinely oh, I think song, that is yeah. a beautiful song, mm. and she sings it very well. So, on to his, his threequel of this sort of musical trilogy he's been embarking on then. <laughs> he did Irish, he did Hollywood, now he's back to Irish again. And so what you've got is a story set in the 80s about a bunch of teenagers and their mutant powers. Sorry, wrong film. Um, so got... <laughs> you suddenly had my attention. <laughs> suddenly had your attention. Yeah, mutants, teenagers, 80s, yeah. Other, that's the other film out this week. Uh, right, this is the one you should see instead of the one with the mutants, though. 
So what you've got then is uh, a young boy named Connor who's growing up during harsh times in the 80s in Dublin. In order to save money, his parents, one of whom is Aidan Gillen... Really? Baelish? Littlefinger? Littlefinger, yeah. Peter Baelish. Peter Baelish, Peter Baelish Baelish from Game of Thrones, because it's Ireland, so you can't really throw a stone. Not to say that he has an Irish accent in Game of Thrones, because you can never really tell what his accent is. If you're in Ireland, you you can't swing a cat without hitting half the cast of Game of Thrones at any given time. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably one of the plot points. I'm I'm pretty sure... You'll see Jon Snow with, like, a tabby cat. Exactly. I'm pretty sure if you pull into a shell garage in in Dublin, you'll probably encounter someone who's been on Game of Thrones working behind the till. But that's just how it works. Right. So, um, he's sent to a uh, young, a, a, a less affluent school in order for his parents to save money. And before long, he meets the girl of his dreams. A, an aspiring model, played by Lucy Boynton, who is uh, living in a girl's home across the street. And he decides, in order to win her affection, he is going to start his very own futurist band. In the vein of, of up-and-coming popsters Duran Duran, which we, who we are told, time will tell on those guys. We're told that. Time mm. will tell. We don't know which way they're going. Time will tell. And in order to... In, in forming his band, the idea is he's going to get her to star in the video and win her over with his musical talents. We have a clip. That was bad, bad music. And there is nothing as bad in this world as bad music. That was a novelty act. It's all about the girl, isn't it? Yeah, the girl, yeah. And you're going to use somebody else's art to get her? Are you kidding? We're just starting. We need to learn how to play. Do the Sex Pistols know how to play? You don't need to know how to play. Who are you, Steely Dan? You need to learn how not to play, Connor. That's the trick. That's rock and roll. And that takes practice. And you're not a covers band, by the way. Really? No. Every school has a covers band. Every pub has a covers band. Every wedding has a covers band. And every covers band has a middle-aged member who'll never know whether they could have made it in the music industry or not because they never had the balls to write a song for someone else. Rock and roll is a risk. You risk being ridiculed. But I don't know how to write a song. Close that door and sit down. Really? It's going to be a long night. Of school in the morning. This is school. So this basically, now Jack Rayner there doing doing his his shtick, and he <laughs> he is the high point of this film, Jack Rayner. If you were ever feeling bad that he didn't, if you've ever felt sort of glad mm. that he didn't get the the Han Solo, the young mm. Han Solo role, you will watch him in this film and think, oh man, that actually would have been really yeah. good. But I'm I'm sure he's going to get his own franchise. I'm, 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 sure. I'm sure he has got that in him, and God bless him. You do sit through the film, and you do overlook the fact that he is the poor unfortunate soul who had to come out with the Romeo and Juliet law dialogue in the last Transformers movie. Let's just move on. From that. Let's well, move on let's, from let's, that. Um, he's really charming. He's the sort of armchair oh, philosopher, yeah. older brother. Mm. Now, the film manages to to be out and out, just upbeat and cheerworthy. It has its heart so firmly planted on its sleeve. It is this great coming of age tale intertwined with all of this brilliant eighties pop culture humor. It, it's it's gentle prodding, but affectionate prodding, and it's jokes like "No woman can truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins" and things like that. True. The, True words. True words have never been spoken, but um, but it's the, and it all comes together so well. Now I have to look this up because I keep forgetting his name. The star of this movie, and this is his first role. Oh really? And he is Ferdia Walsh Pilo, who plays Connor. His first, and he's brilliant in this. Mm. He has because the idea is he's meant to have a sort of everyman charm, and he balances the sort of requisite nebbishness that he sort of needs with this idea of not seeming too awkward. With he okay. manages to play it so. That he, He's still kind of ordinary, but he's endearing, he's likeable. And say, there's a lot of fun to be had in it. You will grin ear to ear for the entire duration of the film, and it is only about 100 minutes long. 
Um, the music that's in it, both both uh, you know soundtrack stuff and actually featured music, is a brilliant combination in a way that actually reminded me. Did you ever see Still Crazy with uh, Billy Connolly and I did. Timothy Spall? And it reminded yeah, me of that, that yeah. because there are times when they play their own original music, and you're reminded of when you saw the Flame Still Burns performed on stage, and you're like, oh man, this is this is really cutting me to the root. This is great stuff. I the guy from Auto Vida's Empire that's in that. Oh, uh, Jimmy Nail. Jimmy Nail. Yeah. Jimmy Nail, yeah. Um, Went blank for a second. <laughs> Crocodile uh, who Rob Brydon is based on in uh, the Huntsman Winter's War, I believe. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only explanation I can find. Yeah. Uh, really, really terrific film. It is John Carney's film. It feels like it throughout. You mm. can't escape it. Really solid, uplifting, upbeat, cheerful film that you'll be you'll be tapping your toes. You'll be say you'll have a Joker smile on your face. You'll have a full Heath Ledger grin on your face, and it deserves. Every bum on seat it can get, really, it is just such a good time. I mean, it, I'm, I'm spoiler alert, he's going to be filmed a week, but yeah, it, it just is. <laughs> well, it that wasn't going to be X Men, was it? Anymore? It wasn't going to be. <laughs> and it's certainly not going to be Heart for Dog, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, so. <laughs> Let's. Uh, we've got to chuck in a bit of film news. Oh, should we oh, talk yes, about? Please, yeah. uh, we didn't talk about Transformers actually. Um, no, we didn't. It has a title. It does. Transformers I've, I've, Five, yeah. which has the fourteen-year-old girl as the as the new female lead in a movie directed by Michael Bay, which is probably not going to end well, if we're honest. Hmm. Um, and it's now going to be called. Wait for it. It's going to be called Transformers: The Last Night. Night spelled K. Yeah, we are the knights. We say knee night. Yeah. yeah, not going to be the last film though, is it? Sadly. I, no, is this the start of another trilogy? Or no, no, another? the last one was the start of another trilogy. This is part two of the new trilogy. I don't care. But, yeah, hang on. <laughs> don't, aren't we going to be having one Transformers from a year now? Because there's Bumblebee one oh, next gonna year. Oh, there's going to be spin-offs, yeah. Yeah, we've got yeah. Bumblebee next year, and then I think we've got a Dinobots and then another Transformers and, and so on and so forth. And sooner or later, they're just going to give us a Megan Fox one as well. And... Yeah, I don't know why I get out of bed anymore. Uh, oh, so anyway, um, in in last night news, um, so Josh Demel is coming back to the Transformers franchise. Yeah, he's some army guy as Colonel Lennox. Wow, yeah. do you not know your Transformers movie mythology? He's a he's a major. I want to say. Is he I think he's Colonel now. Oh, is it oh, Colonel? He gets promoted. I think he gets promoted through the movies. Uh, the right. only question now is whether or not Tyrese is going to come back as well. And please, Tyrese, don't just, just go and be John Stewart in yeah, Green Lantern. Just, just, just go to the, back. Go to back. Please, Tyrese, keep the respect I have for you and don't come back to the Transformers franchise. I I'll be very surprised if he does. Mm, well, yeah. So, should we uh, should we finish the uh, the box office top ten for the week? Them. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get it on. Number five, Florence Foster Jenkins. Have you caught this one yet? Uh, no, sadly not. It no, is not fun. Yet. It is fun, and you do laugh, and you do sort of you do, you get into it, and you get into the fun of it. But it is really frivolous fun. It is musical fluff. It is musical well, fluff. For lack of a better term, get from the trailer. It it it's yeah it's it's kind of like do you know it reminded me of one of those uh, you know, have you ever heard those uh, those kid-friendly Christian band covers of popular songs mm. where they, they remove all the uh, adult stuff and they replace them with the par- you know kid-friendly stuff for the parents. Yes. It's kind of like that. It's not quite a proper film, but no. it's enjoyable enough. Number four. Bad Neighbours 2. Sorority Rising. So it... <laughs> I, I refuse to say that. Sometimes. Yeah, I know. Uh, the stuff in it that works, the stuff that doesn't, and the stuff that doesn't outweighs the stuff that does. Mm. And the things that work um, include, you know, great pokes at the sort of gender bias 
bias of the Greek system and US academia. Mm. Chloe Moretz, to her credit, manages to manages to be quite charming, isn't it? There's there's there's, there's a, a likability to her that I mean I don't really have an issue with Chloe Moretz. I think a lot of people do. I don't quite get it. I've I've really never been a fan. You're never warm to her. No. Yeah, fair enough. But I like that she plays edgier characters, especially for an actress her age. Um, she gets a bit more to do here, and the problem is that the film doesn't quite seem up to it. It abandons the feminist angle quite early on. You've got Seth Rogen and uh, and Zac Efron who are really just going through the motions with this one. You've got all the same gags again. So airbag gag is back, and really, we've got the same central conceit as last time as well. And ultimately, you come away thinking, I feel like I've just watched that film again. And you have. Number three. The Jungle Book. Ah, The Jungle Book. What is left to say? What is left to say? Well, we've got to find something for the next four weeks to say, because we did say that when it hit the (laughs) tenth week, we would just answer it by singing The Bare Necessities. Yeah, so I'm going to bring in my guitar, or maybe a ukulele. I think you should bring a ukulele. That would be quite interesting. I think it lends itself to a ukulele. (laughs) Let's rock the ook. Yeah, but I do have uh, just a tiny bit of news just about Jungle Book, but not not this this Jungle Book. The other one. Uh, Yeah, Andy Serkis. The Junglier Book. That's what it's going to (laughs) Two Jungle, two book. Yeah. Uh, Andy Serkis said that his one is going to be grittier because it's a Warner Brothers film. Yeah, and, and we know that they do gritty quite well. Yes, they do. Number two. Angry Birds, new entry. Right, it is a cynical cash-in. There's no denying mm. it, but do you know what? It gets its tone quite right. And I, I, I think the reason that works is because it's it's written by the guy who's written it, um, whose name I forget actually offhand, um, is, he was a writer on The Office, the US version of The Office, which I think both you and I agree is a really great slice of modern American comedy. Yeah. And I, I actually do think it's better than the British version, but I, I appreciate I might be in the minority there. It, it did go on three I, times I as long, agree, to be fair. Yeah. I, I think so. But um, say it balances its sense of minutiae with outlandish surrealist comedy really, really well. And it's got the right cast for that with Josh Gad, with Jason Sudeikis, with Maya Rudolph, with uh, Bill Hader. And there's a lot of fun to be had there. And then you get Peter Dinklage turning up because, you know, it's a film on a weekday. So, you know... Peter Dinklage, and and he drinks and he knows things literally, and which is I feel like you could just describe every Peter Dinklage role. Good, yeah. But it's flashy, it's fun, it's frivolous, and it's 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 fancy free. And what more can you ask for from a movie based on a sixty nine p app? It is exactly as much fun as you expect it should be. You couldn't make a better film out of Angry Birds, and God bless them, they've made the best they can, and it works for me. I was I was entertained. I will give it that. I was entertained. I laughed, and I was. Wasn't bored. The end. Number one. Give me three guesses what number one is. Is it a certain captain and his his very polite war? Uh, yes. Would you even say it was a civil war? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Right. Okay. Captain America Civil War. Okay. Okay. So so I, I went to see this again last week. I finally got to see it for the second time, and I, I took my other half, and uh, mm. she she'd managed to avoid seeing it for the opening week. Did she like it? She loved it, and she Good. was. There, there were Good. points when she was whooping, cheering, <laughs> jaw on the floor, staring gobsmacked at things she was seeing. She loved it, and she wasn't mm. that overly excited about it. No. And I was quite amazed by it because we live in a day and age in which a Captain America movie is entertaining British audiences. My God, no one ever saw this coming. No. And, I mean, let's be honest, you could probably put out a Captain Britain movie and it probably wouldn't do that well now. <laughs> you see how that would like kind of transcend it, in it other really places. Would, it really would. Yeah. But Downey's, go- Downey's great in it, Evans is great in it, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Chad- Mackie. Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman's terrific in it. Yeah. But, of course, it all belongs to Tom Holland. To 
<laughs> too forward. <laughs> too, too, too no, forward. He, he is great. But Tom Holland, great. though, minimal role, maximum impact, and wow. It's, it's just enough, isn't it? It's just, it's just enough. enough of a tease. And if he can do that in roughly 25 minutes of screen time, what the hell are we in for in 2018? 2018? Can't, can't wait. No, 2017. 2017. Next, what the hell are we in for it, in 2017? It's either June or July. Is it? Is it next, next year? I thought it was 18. No, it is next year, because we've oh. got three... Uh, Marvel sequels next year. Oh, it's going to be so fun next Guardians, year. Guardians, Ragnarok, and well, yeah. technically Homecoming isn't a sequel, but <laughs> technically isn't it? it, it a, a reboot. It's a, it's a reboot call, if a you reboot will. Call. A reboot call. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. So. On then to the Dave Eggers adaptation. Let's get on to a hologram for the king, yeah. starring starring your man, your Jimmy Stewart, your Mister Tom Hanks. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was you that pointed that out to me. I never realised he is the new Jimmy Stewart. He totally is the new Jimmy he, Stewart, and he really Absolutely. is. And believe me, a hologram for the king is only going to cement that notion for you yeah. because it is very much. You could have made this movie fifty years ago with Jimmy Stewart. You really could have. Not really changed, but you would have... I mean, it's Mr. Deeds goes to the Middle East. <laughs> Mr. De- Mr. Deeds goes to the KSA, as we're told yeah. in this. Right, okay, so what you've got, he is there's a character named Alan Clay, played by Tom Hanks, who is literally introduced to us in a dream sequence, in which he is walking through a suburban neighbourhood, grandiosely annotating is it... Is that when he's doing the Talking Heads? With the lyrics to yeah. Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. Now, it's the movie's standout moment, and this is literally how it opens. So it literally puts its best foot forward. Forward in, from the offset. Mm. Uh, cut to, he wakes up, he's on a plane to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia where he is going to pitch to the king a state-of-the-art holographic communication system which runs on Skype in 2010. So I'm going to imagine really isn't that reliable because I think Skype's only been reliable for about 15 minutes now. So <laughs> 2010, not so much. Um in the middle of all this, he is having problems in his in his personal life. He is uh, separated, he's divorced, his daughter has had to drop out of college because of financial woes, because he's unable to support her. He's feeling pressured by his job. His stress is mounting to the, to the extent that he's actually getting physical lumps and symptoms as a result of it, mm. and he doesn't quite know what's going on. And here he is, adrift in the middle of this frankly alien culture that he doesn't know quite what to make of. Here's a clip. King is not coming today, so you guys can just relax shouldn't we call corporate and let him know the conditions here are untenable no brad we should wait until i talk to kareem alamad at three o'clock do you know why we're not in that building well maybe all the vendors are in here and maybe we're just the first kind of weird being rallying than being out here it's a brand new city it's uncharted territory and we are the trailblazers where are we supposed to eat Guys, come on! We are in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia with the deserts and the camels and the sheiks and the tents. Oh, oh my god! Oh. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, don't you know they can only kill me with a golden bullet? Golden bullet, you, know, you get it? It's Lawrence of Arabia. Who? The fact that you laughed at that golden bullet thing that really just does prove what a pair of film nerds we really can be on occasion. So, as you can hear from the clip then, it's it's Tom Hanks on, on brilliantly Tom Hanksian form. He is as, as fun as he's ever been. He's as likeable and charming as he's ever been. 
Now, what you've got with this one, this is directed by Tom, this is written and directed, written for the screen mm. by and directed by Tom Twyker, yes. who of course brought us Run Lola Run. Run Lola Run and did some of Cloud Atlas. That was the point I was yeah. going to get to as well. This is based on the novel by Dave Eggers, and I say I've not read the novel, I, I don't particularly know any of the ins and outs of it, but what you have in, I'm just talking about the film now, I don't know if this is present within the novel, what you have is a really light-hearted and really fun sort of character-based dramedy with a lot of uh, culture shock and a lot of sort of, you know, witty societal jabbing. Mm. And there's some stuff... Because I, I grew up in the Middle East, so there's a lot of humour in this that you do you do find yourself thinking you, you'd have to have gone to the Middle East to have gotten these things. Uh, there is a joke in there about, we don't have unions, we have Filipinos. Which, which you just think, <laughs> that's only funny if you've ever been to the Middle East and noticed that. Mm. Because it's like the weird unspoken thing. Um, and there's loads of little jabs like that and... and, and Things just 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 gags that land, and for me, I thought it was hilarious. I think that a lot of that humor is going to get lost on a Western audience somehow. Yeah. But the thing is, it's Tom Hanks. He plays as well internationally as he does to an English speaking audience. Absolutely. Now, there's a reason why he is Tom Hanks. He is, he's exactly, like beloved as he is. Exactly that reason. Yeah. Now, in terms of the visual side of it, Tom Twyke has done a fantastic job, uh, basically doubling Morocco for a really believable Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and in terms of his writing, when he is going for his plot based stuff, and the plot is really, really thin, to be honest. I mean, what, what I've given you is the concept really is it. When he goes for that he's great and Hanks will sell it regardless of what he's going for and that's that's the, that's the crutch though, that Hanks really is the thing to latch onto in the film. There's not an awful lot besides that. Um, there are a couple of really really great supporting uh, supporting characters. Uh, so there's Yusuf, for example, his uh, who describes himself as, uh, as driver, guide, hero <laughs> who's, uh, who's played by <laughs> Who's played by Alexander Black, and he's a newcomer, okay. and and you watch him in this, and you're like, actually, yeah, there's there's a brilliantly sort of weathered charm to him, even though he's got quite a youthful face. Mm. His shtick is quite well worn. It, it's it's not awkward. It feels strangely familiar and and, and kind of lovable. Quite welcoming. Quite welcoming. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Sarita Chowdhury, who I know she's been in other things, but I know her primarily as uh, Mandy Patinkin's partner on Homeland. I thought um, I recognised her. Yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's what I know her as. So I naturally dislike her because I'm a fan. <laughs> but she's really compelling in this. And she's uh, Tom Hanks' doctor because obviously he has the stressed lump and everything. And she manages to really play this great mixture of, of outgoing warmth with complete intrigue at the same time. There is a very mysterious quality to her, but at the same time, it's not um an it's not an excluding sort of a mm. sort sort of an intrigue. You do feel <clears throat> drawn in by it and you do feel welcomed by it. And I thought she was great within it. Uh, the problem I have with it is it's it can't really ever reach the status that it's so the great the states of greatness that it so richly craves. And the problem is that it, ultimately it is quite thin on the material front, and it is left solely on the back of, of Tom Hanks to carry it. And don't get me wrong, he's up to the task, and he will amuse you, and he will charm you, and he will entertain you. And there's enough of a culture comedy in there to really make it work. But outside of that, it's not much of a crowd pleaser, and that's a shame given the talent involved. You want more from Tom. Tom Twyke, when you want more from Cerise Chowder, and you want more from Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks is giving it all, giving it his best, but he's let down by everyone else. Really, he's let down simply by 
the lack of weight to the material. And because it's not quite a comedy, it's not quite therefore disposable. If it were an out-and-out comedy, you'd be able to sort of brush it under the rug. Like we do with Florence Foster Jenkins. It's yeah, it fine. Was, it's, it was fine for two hours on yeah. the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, it is quite a short film. It's only about 100 minutes, but it, it does work. And you say it does feel frivolous, but it is amusing and it is enchanting. That's it. It is flimsy but fun. And what, so, sometimes that's okay. That's, that's it. That's sometimes you you're okay with that. When you know, when the star of Captain Phillips wants to give you flimsy but fun, Captain Hanks, then yeah. he's the captain now, and I'm I'm, I'm okay with. <laughs> You've that. You've been dying to say. I've that, been dying. I always love saying that. So, oh, one bit of film news before we before we cut to the end. By the way, yeah, let me um, know. oh god, did you know we're getting a fourth Insidious movie? Yeah, it's got a date, hasn't it? It's got a date. Yeah. I, I have this date written down. So, if if you're one of those people who actually really likes the Insidious, I don't mind the Insidious series. It's all right. It's just kind of there, isn't it? It's just it's, it's there. It's, a, it's like coat hangers. You never want a coat hanger. There's just they're there in your wardrobe. They're just waiting for you to hang things on them. You don't. Have you ever met anyone that makes coat hangers? That's never happened. I've, I've never. I don't no, know anyone. I can't imagine that being a really interesting person. No. Although I don't know because I've never met them. It might be the most interesting person. That's ever. true. So Insidious is. Well, I don't have it. It's October 2017. I don't have the exact date written down. It's mm. a bit annoying. Oh, uh, here's your WTF uh, news of the week. So Liev Schreiber. Have you heard this one? This is mind-blowing. So, Ray Donovan himself. Ray Donovan, Leo yeah. Schreiber, uh, Cotton Weary from Scream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, so Cotton Weary's got a new job. And what is Cotton's new uh, he job? Is going, he has joined Tay Diggs in... Uh, I know you're <laughs> you excited my attention. <laughs> he has joined Tay Diggs, Michael Pena... What? <laughs> ...and Emily Blunt. You're excited, aren't you? I really am. ...as the voices for the new My Little Pony movie. Um, what now? Interesting. Yeah, that's really strange, isn't it? Like, is wait, is, wait, is Lee ever brony? Is he a brony? I I don't know. Is, from from Sabretooth to brony. Yeah, from, Sa- from Sabretooth to brony. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Leave Schreiber story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so film of the week. <laughs> I've gone from Lee to brony. So film of the week. Uh, I'm going to give to Sing Street. I, I think everybody should, everybody yeah. needs to go out and see Sing Street ASAP. It's going to be a like a take your mum, take your grand. Exactly. Take everyone. Yeah, take everyone. If you can, if you see someone on the street looking like they have nothing to do, just pull the car over, throw the door, and just pull them into the car. And technically, this is not an abduction because it I was is. I'm going to say we're trip. not advocating abductions or hijackings. I mean, I'm we just want people to see good films. I'm envisioning I'm the, I'm envisioning the rush films. sequence from uh, from old school now. <laughs> yeah. We don't want that to happen. <laughs> don't abduct people no. and take them to see Sing Street. It, it's a very very awkward <laughs> awkward story to tell the police. But uh, <laughs> so Sing Street is our film of the week. Uh, Next, we've got some interesting ones. We have. Um, we've got Return of Alice. We've got the Return of Alice. Alice Through the Looking Glass, mm-hmm. which is, of course, James Bobbins as James Bobbins' as sequel to Alice in Wonderland. Did you laugh at Bobbins, James Bobbins' surname? <laughs> I, did. I did. I laughed at Bobbins. Bobbins. Uh, we have Top Cat Begins. So... <laughs> Directed by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be amazing. I'd, I'd watch that. Uh, we have Monroy. With uh, is that Vincent Cassell? I want to say. Oh yeah, it is Vincent yes, Cassell. Is. We've got that to look forward to. Course, yeah. We have Love Never and Friendship, that. which I confess, oh, uh, Kate Beckinsale. There we yeah. are. That's Kate the Be- one. It's, it's a I period know, drama. I know I'd seen pictures on the tube. Um, Chloe, I can never pronounce Savini. 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 That's the one. We have the great reunion we've all waited for. The, what is it? The, the the uniting of George Clooney and Julia Roberts. For the first time since, I want to say, Ocean's 13. I think you're right. Yeah. They are united, of course, for Money Monster. Mm. However, directed by Jodie Foster. Directed by, yeah, directed by Jodie Foster. Sadly, however, it does star Jack O'Connell. And, of course... Oh, come on. And, and of course, because you wanted it, Case. 
the Wonderful. first theatrical release for a Nicolas Cage movie in several years. It is The Trust. How long has it been since we had a theatrical Nicolas Cage movie? It's been at least two years. been at least two years. At okay. least. So Elijah Wood and Nicolas I Cage. Mean, he, he has made films since. He's made about 62, oh, made 62, about 62 yeah, films. Yeah, but. but we all remember how Outcast went. Um, <laughs> and of course The Trust, that is out next week. So we've got all that to look forward to and more next week off screen. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Podcast extras time, Mr. Allen. So, well, we've got to talk about uh, <laughs> some interesting ones now. These are the ones we couldn't fit into the show, obviously. Oh, no, we've got a good was, one first. There was quite a bit of film news this week. There, there really there's was. Really oh, there's more. One. There's more. Oh, I'm, I'm sat down. I'm, oh, I'm oh, ready for okay, it. Okay, let's, let's talk about DC DC movies for a second, because they've had an interesting couple of Let's, let's do it, because you, you, you love them. Oh, I'm a big fan of them. Big fan of them, yeah. I'm not um, just being ironic. There's a lot that you love. Right, there's a, no, I like the TV stuff, and the movies suck, but, yeah. you know, that's that's just my own personal. Right, okay, so evidently, though, I wasn't alone in thinking that DC movies suck, and and, and Batman Superman was a particularly bad offender, and it's it sort of caused Warner Brothers to implode in on itself, uh, to just collapse in on itself, and, uh, and they've done a bit of reshuffling, mm. and they've given DC films over to Jeff Johns. Yes, who Jeff- was the DC uh, CEO. He is. He runs yeah. DC Comics. He helps set up the TV universe. Yes, he he is your go-to guy. He kind of works DC. with Christberg and Belanti. He does, yeah. and of course, Belanti has. We'll talk about Belanti's project in a moment. Yeah. But either way, Ooh, yes, yeah, yeah. either way, <laughs> Jeff Johns is running the show. He is the captain now. Yeah, and and you Look, know what? Step aside, Tom Hanks. Yeah, step aside, yeah. Tom Hanks. There's a new Barkad Abdi in town, and <laughs> uh, and I think this this could work out. I mean, it's not going to particularly save Wonder Woman, which is going to be dreary, or Justice League, which is probably going to be awful, or uh, or Aquaman, which is probably just going to be a black screen with a, with a, with a bubble on it occasionally and and some screaming noises. Um, or I'm getting the sense that you're not optimistic about. Any, any of those anything, films? Anything. Uh, well, I'm I'm pretty sure the Flash is just going to be a guy running around burning buildings without actually going in and saving anyone because it's a DC movie, so heroes can't be heroes now. It's just it's one of those awkward things, isn't it? Because they obviously not these guys, but CW and Belanti have done such know, a such wonderful job. But let's talk the about Flash. Belanti though, because he is doing a, a DC film. Yeah, I think this is based on I because think, of his good job. I think yeah. it's connected though to Jeff Johns. Mm. I think this is what's connected yeah. because he's doing with uh, Zach Stentz, who of the, course the writer, the writer Zach Stentz, yeah. who of course did a recent episode of The Flash as well. Yeah, the one that uh, was directed by Kevin Smith. Directed by Kevin Smith. Now, what good what, Zach Stentz? Zach Stentz actually one of the original X Men writers. No, he Thor. did the uh, first class. And the first class. Thor. And Thor, yeah. uh, one of the drafts of Thor, because Thor is officially credited to J. Michael Straczynski, of all people, I think. I think there's a few credits. I think he, he did one of the passes on it. One of them. Well, he, he's now writing Booster Gold, the movie. Yeah. Which is going to be awesome. If you don't know Booster Gold... He I, I wasn't aware until like a couple of weeks ago. So you know the story. He's a, yes. he's a, he's a 25th century football player who gets injured <laughs> and uh, takes a job as a night security guy at a museum. Mm. But of course, it's you know 25th century. So he has all this future tech in museum cases, and he basically half-inches a load of it and uses it to make himself into a superhero who is, of course, shamelessly self-promoting and aggrandizing and, of course, goes back in time to our present day as a superhero so he can get some corporate sponsorship and money, etc. And he has a, a talking security robot named Skeets who... Named Skeets? Yeah, yeah, who That's tells him name. all about the future and the timeline, etc. And, yeah... 
Yeah, they did. They did that's, feature him in an episode so of Smallville. Okay. At one point. Yeah. And 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 strangely, it did work. Uh, so we have this coming as well. Yeah. Meanwhile, of course, Harley Quinn's getting a movie. She so is. Yeah. Margot Robbie's going to lead a DC girls movie, effectively. Yeah. Which, mm. wow. Okay, they must have some faith. in her. I think that would work just based on her upcoming star power. We shall we shall see on that front. Yeah. So okay, before, let's let's talk about uh, Pacific Rim two. For a second, then before we get on to yeah, that has a writer now, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, and, and who is that writer? He is the co-writer of Jurassic World, and Mr. That, Derek that, Connolly. That made some money. Yes, yes. Jurassic <laughs> yeah. World made made a made a few bob. It did. Did okay. Made a few bob. So we we have we have some 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 excitement building for uh, for PR two. Okay. Um, can I do? A do you of want to do one? Go on. I got on. a couple of bits. Okay. Uh, do one, and then we'll do a review, and you can have more. Oh, how kind are you? We ration it out, ration it so out. So generous. You can me. have too much of a good thing. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Terry Gilliam. Do you oh, know, yes, do you know that on. film that he's been trying to make? 12 Monkeys 2, 13 Monkeys. <laughs> That's what we've been waiting for. 12 Monkeys 2, the 13th Monkey. The 13th Monkey. <laughs> Played by George Clooney. Yeah, that, um, you know, it's just, just Affleck, because we all know Affleck will play the shark in Jaws. He... <laughs> <laughs> we can do this for a while. In Jaws 12. Yeah. Okay, Terry Gilliam's at Don Quixote. The man who killed Don Quixote. The man who killed Don Quixote yes. is going to be the proper title of it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we've been trying to make it for how many years? Is so it now? originally, I believe we had Johnny Depp and who was the guy? Uh, Rothschild, Lovechild. Oh, yeah. I've forgotten. It. He got injured. Let's say, let's say Rothschild. Okay, he got injured, and then there was. And then it kind of moved on. But then there was a NATO attesting an aircraft over the set. There yep. was a flash flood. There was a couple of injuries. They shut down. They restarted. They had, I want to say, Jack O'Connell and, Jack and John, Hurt. John Hurt. And then John Hurt had his cancer diagnosis, for which yeah. he has now mercifully gone into remission. Yeah, thank um, goodness for it. But he got that diagnosis on the eve of production starting. So the film died there and then until. Uh, Hurt was well. They didn't know if he was going to get better or not. No. That was the problem. So they uh, moved on, but Robert, nothing Robert happened. Robert Duvall was attached for a while. Robert Duvall and who was the younger? Because there's always an older one. There's the younger one. A, I forgot. Who oh, the was. one of them was Robert Duvall. It will come to me. But anyway, I this say Jude Law. I think it was Jude Law and Robert Duvall. Oh, I think no, Jude. it wasn't. It was Ewan McGregor. It was Ewan McGregor yes, and yes, Robert yes, Duvall. Yes. And that never happened. But what's happening now, Case, 16 years later? Please tell us. It's going to start shooting in October. <laughs> is it really? And you know who's going to be playing the younger one? Uh, is it Miles Teller? Uh, no, because this it's... is a film that you're going to go watch. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to go and watch it. Okay, then. Well, if I'm yeah. going to watch it, you can't star Miles Teller. Kylo Ren. Kylo, Kylo Ren? Adam Driver. <gasps> and do you know who's going to be playing the older one? Is it the other guy from Girls? Uh, is it no, Ray from Girls? It's a guy from Once Python who loves limericks and loves travelling around the world. Michael oh, Payne. Oh, 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 it's not Eric Idle. Oh, that's disappointing. Uh, Mark Lane is definitely the best surviving. <laughs> Michael Palin is the best. He's he? incredible. Michael Palin is, I think, he's my favourite. He's my favourite yeah. Python. I remember when I was a kid, I was given a book of Michael Palin poems and lyrics. Really? And it was like my favourite book when I was like nine. I, I used to watch his Around the World in 80 Days series I a lot. Um, because I was growing up in the Middle East, and on the BBC World Service, they played that an awful lot. I can imagine. That and that and the original format, Top Gear. But, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, won't be getting that back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, that, that episode in which Clarkson described the Porsche as being better than sex. I've seen that so many he times. Everything. This steak, better than sex. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's the man who killed Duncan. So the, I, I should, really hope it gets should point out, because I didn't realise this, it's not a direct adaptation of the original novel. No, I did not. not know this. So this is going to be, this is uh, Terry Gilliam's own take, because why wouldn't it be? 
Terry yeah, Gilliam, he's going to have all the puppets and Terry things that Gilliam you were can't just with. do a thing. He has to do his not. own version of a thing. That's true. If, I, I want to know what happens if you ask Terry Gilliam to make you a sandwich. <laughs> how, how does that come back? Um, it's a drawing of sandwiches, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's two drawings of sandwiches with the sandwich filling in between. That's how it works. Yeah, but it talks. But, so his version is a man from our time goes back in time to help Don Quixote yeah, on an epic quest. Yeah, a man is involved in publishing, I want to say. I, th- I believe so. It used to be advertising, now it's publishing. It's one, one of the two. It's all going a little bit Walter Mitty now, isn't it? Something like that, yeah. So let's talk very quickly about Minuscule Valley of the Lost Ants. My, my favourite film title of the year so far. Now, I'm not familiar with the Minuscule series. Do you know of these? They're, they're on CBeebies, apparently. No, I just like the title Valley of the Lost right. Ants. These are basically great. photorealistic animated movies with okay. computer animated insects in them. Like they have cartoonish faces, but it's computer animation, so it's meant to look as photorealistic as possible. And what you've got in the case of this one is a ladybug who is left behind by its. I'm not even sure if it's a boy or a girl ladybug. Uh, left behind by its family and finds itself in the middle of a war between two factions of ants, the black ants and the red ants, the war being fought over a left-behind picnic by humans. And <laughs> That's definitely worth fighting for. Right. It is dialogue-free. It's, it, As it's, you would expect. Yeah, it's a Belgian film. It is dialogue-free. It's all about the music. It is terrific. Really? It really is. Very. I mean, I think it was Chris Honeyset who, who told me, very strangely, it follows the, the, the plot pattern of Mad Max 2, which I <laughs> find very, very odd. Oh. If you ever want to sell a film for someone, just say it's Mad Max, but with ants. Yeah, Mad Max with ants. That works for an yeah. awful lot of people. Um, no, I mean, let's be honest, Happy Feet is, is uh, footloose with penguins. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. That's all it is. That is the truth. But, uh, you know, that's all that is. Um, I mean, Frozen is just in and out. But, uh, really? But that one got you? Referencing an obscure 1998 <laughs> Kevin Klein comedy? Referencing any Kevin Klein, Tom Selleck... Comedy, yeah. Really? So if I just mention Princess Caribou, that, that works for you. <laughs> I still can't believe Kevin Klein's married to Phoebe Cates. That man is living my dream life. Is that the lady from Fast Times? Yes, that yeah. is the lady from Fast Times. God, how young are you that Phoebe Cates is the lady from Fast Times? Um, I don't know how young am I? I am 27. Phoebe, how young are you? Phoebe Cates <laughs> is the sex goddess from Gremlins. Yeah. I don't know. The Aphrodite... From Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The sole reason to get out of bed in the morning for about ten years that we call the 80s. Anyway. Yeah, but she wasn't uh, Karen Allen in the 80s, was she? No, no, that's that's very true. No, no. Very few people were Karen Allen in the 80s. Just, just Karen, Karen Allen. Just think. Karen Allen, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about... <laughs> let's talk about the prequel we've all been waiting for, which is... Not the prequel to Peter Pan, because we had that. And not the prequel to Alice in Wonderland, because we've already had the sequel, Darsman. No, no, I'm talking about a prequel that combines the pair. Synergy. Synergy, oh, mm. synergy. So, <laughs> well, it turns out they're both public domain characters. So you can you yeah. can do whatever you want you with them. You can do whatever you please. You, you really can. If, if you want to you dress them up as, as, as Smurfs, you, you can. What is it with Smurfs today? Uh, I don't What's know. The second, I, I people turn into Smurfs. I, I don't know. You want, you want you want to dress them up as Smurfs and make them dance? You can. You do that. But uh, yeah, so okay. That's, so that's so, so what we're today. getting now is we're getting a movie called Come Away, in which it turns out that uh, Peter and Alice are in fact siblings. 
And they have an older brother who, who dies in an unfortunate accident. The parents are lost in their grief, and the two younger siblings go off on an adventure and get separated. Pete finds uh, Pete finds Neverland. Uh, Ali finds uh, finds Wonderland, and Never the Twain Shall Meet. From the director of Brave, who's moving into live action for this oh, one. Oh, uh, Brenda Chapman. Brenda Chapman, Chapman, who did you know was an animator on Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I did know that. Did you know that? Yeah. I hate and dealing with you. And she directed uh, The Prince of Egypt, which might be one of my favourite animated films of all time. Is it lonely up there on your pedestal? Uh, no, it's good. It's made of gold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she does fine work, doesn't she? I have some news that I didn't think I was going to like, and now the more I think about please it... Please do, please do. Shire the Beef. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Beef. Miss, Mr. LaBeef. Uh, he is going to be playing a certain uh, tennis legend. Oh, 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 oh! Hang on. Is the is it? I, I have heard this. Is it Beyond Borg? <laughs> he's not playing Beyond Borg, but he is obviously old. He's going to play Johnny Mac. He's playing John McEnroe <laughs> in the movie Versus. Yeah, he's going to yeah. be called uh, Born uh, Slash McEnroe. I'm not entirely sure he's going to play in. Uh, so like Frost well. Nixon, but <laughs> a little bit is like. Is it going to be yeah. like the Slash with Frost Frost Slash Nixon? Yeah. It's, it's it's definitely got a slash in there. Ooh, but, I, need to, um, I need to watch Fly, uh, Frost Nixon again. Oh, it's a good film. Such a good movie, isn't it? Such a good film. Oh, Frank Langella is great. Oh, yeah, he's an amazing Nixon. And Michael Sheen. Yeah. yeah. Von Howard, he can make a film. He really can. He, can really can make a film. he should do more of those. But, but yeah, I didn't think I was going to be excited about that because I've never really cared for Shia LaBeouf because, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, let's see what else we got here. There's always, there's always more film news to be had. Oh, oh, let's talk about Martin Freeman. He's got a new job. Oh, has he really? Yeah, what does he do? Martin Freeman. As the, right, turns out there is a short film called Cargo. Right, they are now expanding it to make a full feature length version. Uh, the same guys who made it this little first time as they're also helming the the, the feature length version. It's going to star Martin Freeman, and it's about a young father who is who must protect his his young daughter from zombies because it's the zombie apocalypse. And the of idea course. is he gets bitten himself. Very early on in the story. And the oh, whole dear. film is he must protect her and fight off the zombies for as long as he has his humanity left. So think of it as a sort of inverted Maggie, yeah. if, if, if you will. Egam. Egam. <laughs> <laughs> inverted Maggie. Egam. I'm not sure if I just came to you just off the cuff. I really did. If you like had to write it down and stand e- in front e- of a mirror. Egam. Egam. I, I, I was in my head thinking that. Is it Egam? Cool. Uh, Steven Spielberg. You've heard of him, haven't you? Uh, did he direct? He directed a film once, didn't he? Yeah, a uh, duel. Duel, that's Duel. the one. Yeah, the, that's yeah. the one that he's really well known for. Yeah, yeah, that car movie. That car, that car movie, movie, yeah, that car the movie. Big, yeah. big truck. Yeah, he did the car movie, I remember, yeah. Um, he's always kind of been against uh, the old uh, superhero. Yeah, he's no. announced that he likes some, hasn't he? Yeah, not only that, he's announced his favourite, and would you know it, Guardians of the Galaxy is that, the one. That is... Which kind of, it's like if he was going to make a superhero film, that would probably be it. I think, I, 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 I remember the quote, he he likes um, Superman, he likes Donna's Superman, doesn't he? Yeah. Did he, I can't remember if he said, he, oh, he liked the first Iron Man as well. Oh, um, did he say that as well? He you like the first Iron Man. Now, where I think it got really funny was he oh, said... Oh, yeah, um, and also Dark Knight. Says, right. Yeah. D- right. Did it, does it specifically say Dark Knight? Because I thought he said he likes Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. He said, I'm not going to do an impression of Steven Spielberg because I don't think he's got that interesting accent. Okay. So he says, I love the Superman of Richard Donner, uh, Dark Knight of Christopher Nolan, and the first Iron Man. But the Superman film that impressed me the most is one that does not take itself too seriously, Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, fair enough. Who, does, who doesn't love a bit of G.O.G., man? There we go. So, um, well, yeah. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy is amazing. Yeah. 
But, so speaking of not amazing, uh, let's talk about Heart of a Dog for a second because I need to tear you apart limb from limb for this one. Okay, so I'm Me? sorry. Why? Because, what have I done? Because you made this sound good. Did um, I? You did, and I hate you for it. I I like Laurie Anderson. You made me sad. But she is mental. Oh, she, oh is, she is a bit mad. Is she? Because yeah. right, I didn't get that impression before I went into the film, and believe me, I'm now very aware. Did you not see her on the on the <clears> late <throat> show with Stephen Colbert, where no, she was no, playing music not. to some dogs that were just sat down? Right. Okay. Funny. Funny you say that because right. Right. Let, let, let me just go with this. Let me just go with this. So this is Laurie Anderson's first film in thirty years, apparently, in which it is, and, and this is this is how it's pitched. It's pitched as a love song to her beloved dog Lola Bell. It opens with the, it opens with her telling you. Um, this is my dream body, and I have a dream whereby I have my dog sewn into my body and give birth to it. And you think, and, and this right. is and this Fair is animated. This, nothing, nothing weird about. Yeah, this is animated, by the mm. way. And you think, okay, nothing wrong here. And she talks about how she got her dog Lola Bell, and she fell in love with her dog, and Lola Bell was her closest companion. And did you know the NSA is stealing all of our data so that they can strip mine it and actually control the world? I remember where I was the day after 9-11 and the chaos of how people just really felt insecure as a race and how we should all look to the spirits of death to represent what it means to be hu- I'm not even kidding. Here's a clip. But finally, I saw it. The connection between love and death, and that the purpose of death is the release of love. That that's a lot of nonsense, and um, uh, yeah, eighty nine minutes of nonsense. To which you will simply think the following. What the hell is this? For crying out loud, somebody throw a pie! There is no... You can't throw a pie at a dog. A dog will see that pie. Right, you know what? I have a dog named Lola, and I love Lola wholeheartedly. Lola, not Lola Bell. Not Lola Bell. Mine's Lola Bear. I love Lola Bear more than life itself. And you know what? I think the greatest testament to my love for Lola M. Bear... The M stands for McConaughey, by the way. The greatest testament to my love for Lola McConaughey Bear is that I would never, ever subject her to this kind of unabashed Oh, for the love of God. Now, I would say it's nicely made, but there's no consistency to it. It just seems to be an art house lunatic cobbling her inner monologue together and then slapping some disheveled images to it. There's no coherence to it. It is nonsense. If a person came up to you on the street and spoke anything resembling what's featured in this film, you would simply say the words, back away from me, you lunatic, and and run away in terror. This... So you've never listened to Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson? No, no, I have not. Great song. Put it this way, it, it gets to the end of the film and it says, you know, devoted, to, you know, dedicated to my, my beloved husband, Lou Reed, Lou Reed yeah. uh, because the film ends with, with the music of Lou Reed, because presumably right. she has the rights, so why not use it? Uh, it? And it ends with it, and you just sit there and think, I... I, I <laughs> I, I can't think what's worse that you're forcing me to remember that Lou Reed isn't around anymore or that this film exists and you put his name on it. What the hell? This this is just awful. This is unbearable. I was squirming in my seat the entire way through thinking, I hope this dog runs away at some point because I would. 
You are not the audience for this film. Apparently, no, no, right. First you are all, not. First of all, I can appreciate. Do you know what? You need to put yourself some some like horn rim glasses and a big ass beret on. Go to an art house cinema, and you need to like see it from someone that's probably going to like. Mm. Uh, you got to see it from I their can, point I of view. I can appreciate an art film. I can. I adore mm. Terrence Malick. I, I <laughs> however, <laughs> however, well, I, I simply you n- didn't didn't have a week. No, 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 I liked his film the other week. Knife Cups. I, I like Knife Cups. I, I didn't. I watched it's, it. It's To the it. Wonder I don't like. I think Tree of Life is better than To the Wonder. I can't stand To the Wonder. To the Wonder was awful. It really was, isn't it? Yeah. Like, anyway, you think this Laurie Anderson film was bad. I once watched a documentary uh, by Isabella Rossellini called uh, Green Porno, which is based on a stage show that she does. Really? Where she talks about uh, the mating rituals of different animals. And she dresses up like these different animals. So she will dress up like a snail, and then simulate a snail having sex with a snail. Uh, okay. An octopus having sex with an octopus and a sea cucumber doing whatever the sea cucumber does with another sea cucumber. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating when I say it's, it's definitely like a buddy a buddy piece. Okay. To this. I would genuinely yeah. rather have spent eighty nine minutes being <laughs> by an octopus than sitting through this film about Laurie Anderson. And it would have dog. happened eight times as well. It, uh, do you know that from the film? Eight times. I'm I'm just going on the legs. Oh, just on the legs. I thought I thought you meant that was the duration of an octopus, because uh, I wouldn't know that. <laughs> it goes eight times. <laughs> like an octopus specifically lasts eight minutes and nine seconds. <laughs> you know, I just I just assumed. You know, it's got the sexual stamina of Liam Neeson in his prime. Yeah, yeah it really does. Um, <laughs> oh dear God. <laughs> Have you got any more film news to add, or can we just move on from 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 Laurie Anderson and Lola Bell and? Did we talk about the cast of Black Panther? Oh no, we did not. That's some pretty big oh, news. Man. That's some pretty big news. Yeah. Oh, oh, hang on. There is a, there is a really sweet PS to this as well. So I'm gonna, you do the news, and okay. I'll, I'll do the PS. The news is um, your boy, my boy, your boy, uh, Chadwick Boseman is obviously going to be Black Panther, as you saw in James War. Brown himself. He was great. Man. James they tried Brown. to kill James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> you were trying to kill the funk. You're the man responsible for killing the funk. <laughs> Love that movie. Okay, he, oh, he's going to be star. Ryan Coogler, as we know, is going to be making it. So the director of Creed is giving us a Marvel movie. That's fantastic. Uh, he has said, by the way, because he's had a lot of a lot of people say saying that they were let down by such an inspiring mm. up and coming director. Yeah. Uh, doing a Marvel movie, they were worried he was going to get lost in the shuffle. He has he's said, kind of calm the waters. It's about, kind yeah. of my mo- I'm going to try. I'm making this my most yeah, personal my project. Most personal film, like, yeah. wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the news is we have a love interest. Who's the love interest? Oscar winner Blue Peter Nyong'o. <laughs> Blue Peter Nyong'o. I'm, I'm always going to call her Blue Peter. Hang on, you mean Mas Kanata herself? Mas Kanata herself. Oh man. Yeah, and we don't know if he's going to be a bad guy, but people keep saying he's going to be a villain. Michael B. Jordan. Wow. Which makes sense because him and Ryan Coogler are like BFFs. Very true. Uh, on uh, the subject, yeah, that's, that's some great news. On the subject of Michael B. Jordan, though, I have to I have to give you the sweet PS, uh, which this amused me greatly. Simon Kinberg, whilst out promoting, <laughs> of course, yeah. yes, while out promoting X Men Apocalypse, has been talking about, oh, we are going to do a Fantastic Four too, and it's going to be brighter and more fun, and with the same cast. And at that moment. Within, I think it was within 90 minutes, it was yeah. announced that Michael B. Jordan had been cast in a movie for Marvel Studios in which he'll join the Black Panther. And you just think, yeah, I really, really believe he's going to return for your contractually obligated, your, your optioned sequel. Mm. And yeah, okay, that, that's totally happening. So keep dreaming, Simon. I'll tell you what, why don't you go and, and raid the X-Men library for more scenes to cobble a film out of. Oh, harsh words. When are we going to get Gambit, Kimberg? When are we going to get Gambit? <laughs> oh, apparently, when when Channing Tatum's got time. Channing Tatum. 
John T- I think Chad Tato's got all the time he wants, but uh, he can do whatever project he wants. He's he, a talented he, he man. Really can. He, he can even stage an, an entire mm. strip show in Las Vegas. Do you know who else is quite the talented fellow? Oh. Shane Black. Oh, go on. So he's been trying to make a film of thirties. It's either thirties or twenties. Oh, Pulp novel. Uh, Doc Savage. That's it, Doc Savage. And he said in the past that he wants Dwayne the Rock Johnson to play That's him, which one. would be quite a departure. But like, yeah, can you imagine the Rock being like a, like an indie kind of a? But now the Rock has basically said that's a go. That's happening. I want to know how many Amazonian or jungle-based films the Rock really has in him. But uh, at least twenty six. <laughs> at least twenty six. I want to see Walks of the Jungle too. <laughs> isn't he doing one like that's called like Jungle River? Like yeah, that's the Disney do, do uh, Jungle Disney River one. Yeah. He's got Jumanji, which is presumably going to feature jungles. Yeah, he's got. You would think you would hope, wouldn't you? He would. He's already done Journey. He's done Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, th- this man loves the jungle. He does. He really does. He's going to do uh, George of the Jungle. He's not going to do that remake. Oh, that's a reboot I want to see. George of the Jungle. Absolutely. Or Rock of the Jungle. Or you know, Rock of the Jungle. Dwayne of the Jungle. Dwayne of the Jungle. Oh man, that's going to. Would he just play himself? I he- think so. Inevitable, oh, inevitable son of Rambo reboot. You know, son of Rambo. You could make it so it's set after the the Jungle River ride, but have it so he's playing himself and he's like been filming Jungle River, gets lost or something, and then hmm. becomes Dwayne of a Jungle. Indeed, that would totally work. I feel like you weren't committed to my pitch. No, I, I, I'll be I'm, honest. I'm, I'm going to work on it before I contact Brian Grazer about it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I can't. I, I can't. I can't really argue with that. The Brian Grazer will 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 pretty much greenlight anything, surely. As long as you get Ron Howard involved. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, as long they as Akiva Goldsman's attached. If Akiva Goldsman's attached, man, I'm I'm not attached anymore. No. You've lost my interest, sir. You want a man who won an Oscar after writing Batman and Robin? Really? <laughs> yeah. For a film that I don't particularly like. I don't really like yeah. Beautiful Mind. Seriously? Four years separate. In fact, <laughs> let, let's put it this way. If you factor can, in the... Can you say four years but say it like Jeremy Piven? Four years, man! No, four years! It's not, actually, because if you factor in the production time, if you say that it took two years, roughly, to make yeah. uh, Beautiful Mind, if you say mm. it took a year mm. to get put together from scripting stage to production... Right, that means roughly within eighteen months of writing Batman and Robin, Akiva Goldsman got greenlit for that. Really? So someone saw oh. Batman and Robin, saw the, a copy of A Beautiful Mind sitting on a desk, and thought, "Oh, a story of a mathematician from the man who wrote Batman and Robin. How bad could it be?" And, yeah, I <laughs> mean, man for me. Yeah, yeah that, that's the guy we want right now. He's in charge of uh, Transformers Writers Room. Well, it's not just Transformers. Is it's it? the Hasbro Writers Room. The Hasbro Cinematic Universe HCU, if you will. Okay, so can we go back to the the fact that that uh, Heart of a Dog is awful and should never be seen by anyone ever? And yeah, really don't. She's been through enough, man. Don't slander Laurie Anderson. I I just I just feel like if you need to exercise you know your 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 inner your insanity publicly, mm. don't sell tickets for it. <laughs> just, just just go on a subway like a regular person. <laughs> what well, don't exploit your own <laughs> don't, don't, your own issues. Don't, don't try not market your insanity. Just sit on the tube. I don't and, know. And, she might be quite a savvy businesswoman. <laughs> bestow it upon strangers like a regular person. Like but, a uh, regular, normal weirdo. Exactly. On which note, here it is, your moment of cage. Everything we see is in a constant state of vibration, thus the illusion of solidity. But how do we take that which appears solid and have it burst into flames? We will the vibrations to go faster. Step one, clear your mind. Step two, see the molecules. Step three, make them shake. Oh! Got it? 
No, I, I definitely don't got it. Trust the ring, Dave. And keep it subtle. Civilians mustn't know magic exists. That would be complicated. Says the guy in the 350-year-old rawhide trench coat.